I I always love it when I see little birds harassing bigger birds, just the tenacity of it. And the um, so I looked it up, and there's actually a name for that when little birds harass bigger birds to make them move off of territory. It's called mobbing. I would call it stupid. Welcome back to Winnie and Bill Chat. This is episode nine. Beside the waters of the Mackinac Bridge. Is that what we're going to call it? Yeah, why not? We got other <laughs> names. So welcome to the Winnie and Bill Chat podcast. Um, the, the way we do this is that we will post nine pictures to our Instagram, which is called Quiet Shutter Photo. And the reason it's nine pictures instead of 10 is I figured out that for those who wanted to go back and watch previous episodes and check out the pictures, it was hard on our Instagram account to determine which set of pictures went to which podcast episode um, because they're still mixed in with just random pictures that we post to our um, Instagram. So from now on, I will post a cover photo that will say which episode that group of pictures that post will um, relate to. So we will have nine pictures to discuss and we're um, debating about what to call this episode. Um, we are going to be talking all about a um, magical little section of roadway that runs along um, the shoreline of Lake Michigan on the north side of the Mackinac Bridge in the St. Ignace area. And uh, so we have debated calling it where to go up north when you live up north. Or what were some of your suggestions, Bill? About just above the bridge, uh, just waiting for Clyde's. Just waiting for Clyde's is a pretty good contender. Now, Clyde's is a drive-in restaurant um, where the food will kill you. But it tastes so delicious that you take the chance. It's an old-fashioned drive-in restaurant where you pull up under a canopy and a car hop comes out and takes your order. And they make you delicious, greasy hamburgers and uh, delicious french fries or onion rings or, oh my God, Bill, what's the Clyde burger? I will never eat one, but it's... Oh, it's three-quarters pound burger. Uh, it's huge. I it's, mean, it's huge. Amazing. It's just more than any two people need to eat. And I, I, you know, I try to not judge people in life. I try really hard. But the last time we were there, there was a woman in the car next to us who ordered two Clyde burgers. <laughs> and she appeared to be her and her little son were the only people in the car. I don't know how she... And they ate them while they were waiting for their food to take home. That oh was my the gosh. scary part. <laughs> I also remember one time being at Clyde's and the car next to us, the gentleman was eating um, his French fries and they must fry their French fries in, in the really good, bad fat because they're delicious. But the gentleman in the car next to us was salting every fry individually and eating them. Yeah. He that, may not be with us anymore. He may not be with us anymore. So that was a good contender waiting for Clyde's because uh, with um, the delay in businesses opening this year because of 
Uh, Clyde's is obviously a seasonal business, but also it was late in opening because of the restrictions with COVID-19. So when it did open, everybody was super anxious to go there. Now, I think it qualified as curbside delivery so they could open before the dining in restaurants could fully open. Right. But they had, they actually have a little counter that has like 10, 12 seats inside of their building. And that was totally closed. So people were just flocking to the place. They were actually taking over the phone orders. So there was the chaos of people trying to come and pick up orders. And it was just. Well, the first time we went up there, we were going to eat at Clyde's and then we were going to move on to this uh, driving to the Sini Wildlife Refuge. But Clyde's people were parked out on the highway waiting to get in. So we we decided to just skip it, which was a disappointment. So the second time we went up, we were going to do Clyde's. It was a Wednesday. And uh, and when we got up there, we realized that they're closed one day a week and it's Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> but luckily, uh, whenever we go up, to the UP, we cross the Mackinac Bridge. We always bring our cameras uh, because there are some wonderful uh, wildlife opportunities. And uh, right on the shoreline of Lake Michigan, outside of uh, St. Ignace, is a wetlands, marshy area. And there's always something interesting going on in there. Um, a few years ago, we were invited to come up um, by a friend of ours to see or watch or participate in the hawk watch migration and this was in the fall early september yeah and um there's a group of dedicated bird watchers who every spring and every fall will do a count of how many um raptors how many birds um of interest cross the mackinac bridge at any given time so in the fall they were not only counting the bird migration they were also trying to count the monarch migration and there's one paid person who works at doing this officially would he he worked for the dnr correct bill yes he's a biologist and nerdy yeah, kid nerd ball super nice and all of the people that were there helping him were probably retired people right probably in their 60s or older yeah they were at least his parents age if not his grandparent age and they were sitting in lawn chairs and they were watching and they had their bird watching jargon down I, it took me a minute to catch on to but the um the gentleman who was a dnr guy had a stick of wood and screwed to that stick of wood was several of those clicker counter things and they were labeled and it was with old-fashioned labels. Do you remember the label makers where you squeezed it, a letter and you turned a dial? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One and, letter at a time. Yeah. So there was um, certain kinds of hawks were listed. Red-tailed ha hawk. There was eagles. There eagles. Was, there was, yeah, turkey vultures. They were turkey counting. vultures, which surprised me that they were counting them. But also yeah. they didn't call them turkey vultures. They, they were saying TVs. TV. And they kept saying, they pointing to the sky, oh, there's another TV. And I didn't know what the heck we they were say, talking what about. What are you calling? What are you talking about? Turkey Finally, vulture yeah. TV. Hello. Yeah. So there was a lot of turkey vultures. And then they did have a counter for monarch butterflies. And they were migrating so heavily that there was sometimes you felt like you're in a cloud of monarchs. It was just so crazy. So and Bill sometimes uh, likes to make little sound effects, and I love when he, <laughs> on the way home, was was uh, mimicking the count on a you know hawk. <laughs> Do it, Bill. The the sound you made. 
Yeah, and then when it got to the monarchs. Monarchs. The TVs were... Monarchs were... <laughs> like a firing squad. <laughs> Got to count it by 10. Anyways, this sort of introduced us to that. Not that we hadn't been down there before, but this um, gave us um, a schooling on how important that little area, that little wetland marshy area on the edge of the lake is and how much you can see. So we've made it a habit um, when we're in the UP, if we have time to just swing down and drive that is actually called Boulevard Drive. Did you know that, Bill? Yeah, I wondered what it was called. I never looked at the road sign, actually. And it is really right on the lake. And the lakes are so high this year that actually they have um, cordoned off part of the road because the the lake is reclaiming the road. And you can't yeah, the drive road on. is underwater in several areas there. And that particular point where you uh, where the um, the hawk watchers the bird watchers sit to do their migration count is at uh, a little a little point, a little peninsula that comes out a little bit, and it's called Point Labarbe. I bet you didn't know that either, did you, Bill? I do now. You do now. And that point, the reason it's so popular for migrating birds and butterflies is because at that point, it's only three and a half miles to cross over the lake to get to the lower peninsula. So it's the shortest span. It's the shortest span. And it surprises me that they didn't build the Mackinac Bridge there. They say the Mackinac Bridge is five miles. Right. And uh, I wonder if the Point Labar spot would have been a shorter span. But um, maybe it just didn't line up with the highway. I don't know why. But anyways, I'm glad that they didn't touch it. Right. Also, there's a little island out in the lake off of Point Labar that um, is pretty much taken over by seagulls that are nesting. Um, and uh, that little island is called Green Island. It's not even much of an island. I'm surprised it even has a name. No. It, that's privately owned, though. We met the man who owns that a couple of years ago. Yeah, when we were with the Hawk Watchers, yeah. a, a man pulled up just to see how things were going and to shoot the breeze. And he said that he owned, did he own the whole island? Yeah, Green of, Island, but it's not a very, I mean, it's it's well, a post, postage stamp island. And sometimes, evidently, it's almost underwater, like this yeah, year. Yeah, this year, it's there's not much of an island there, per se. It's mostly I, I just think trees. I heard him. I think I heard him say that he bought the property years and years ago from nuns, from Catholic nuns. Yeah, I think that there was a story. I don't know how the Catholic nuns got a hold of that piece of property, but that's who he bought it from. So, somebody probably left it to them. Probably. Who knows? Who knows if his story is even real? But yeah. I like it. <laughs> We're going to go with that story. We're going to go with that. So um, I have posted some photos to our Quiet Shutter uh, Instagram account, Quiet Shutter Photo. And the first picture is a picture of some beautiful purple, blue purple iris. And uh, there are two flowers in this picture. And on one of the flowers, we have placed a nickel. Um, just to show you how teeny tiny these are. These are actually called Dwarf Lake Iris. And believe it or not, they are the state, the official state flower of Michigan. They are tiny too, but they're gorgeous. I, I may have overlooked these flowers, but our daughter-in-law, Sarah, was uh, trying to find a picture. She was putting together a photo book of 
um, things about Michigan at one point, and she wanted to include what was the official state flower. And she asked us if we'd ever seen or knew where there was any dwarf lake iris. So we started to pay attention. And um, the dwarf lake iris are actually a threatened species, and they only grow around the Great Lakes on northern shores. You can find them on Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ontario. But um, but they're pretty hard to find. You, they only are blooming in late May, early June. They're on the shoreline, and they're be, they're threatened because there's so much um, shoreline development happening, meaning. People are building homes and buildings on on the lake shorelines. Um, they're building roads. They're treating those roads with chemicals and in the wintertime salt. Uh, a lot of off-road vehicle uh, use happens on those shoreline um, roads. And so the dwarf iris are slowly being um, obliterated. And it's a shame. Yeah, the, there's... There's thousands of them right in that little area there, but there is a lot of traffic there, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get stomped out too. It's kind of crazy, but they are um they're tiny, obviously, you can see you know a little bit bigger than a nickel, maybe the size of a quarter, and they're very low growing. They're almost like a creeping like a creeping myrtle, so they don't stand up tall, so they're not necessarily easy to spot. But this year was a really prolific year for them, right, Bill? Yeah, there was there was blankets of them in several spots that we found in that little area there. There, of course, we know what we were looking for now, but um, there were a lot of them more this year than I've seen the last couple of years, actually. Which is surprising because we we started to get warm this spring, and then it got cold, and some of the flowers that we look forward to in the spring were sort of um, dwarfed or. Um, just small in statue. Yeah. A lot of the trilliums per se and, 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 um, different, um, lady it, slippers, that kind of stuff were like half the size they normally yeah, tiny. are. They are, but tiny. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I know several people in the area said that the trilliums just never came up around. Uh, we had some around here, but not as much as there normally is either. Yeah. So these little dwarf, lake dwarf, dwarf lake iris. Are really beautiful, but you have to you have to get out of the car. <laughs> you really have to get out of the car and take a little walk to really appreciate and see them. And you also have to be careful where you walk because they're so tiny. But um, if you take the time to look at our pictures, you will see that they are equally as beautiful as the hybrid iris that you plant in your garden. So our next picture was a surprise. Do you want to talk about this one, Bill? And the next picture is actually a picture of a white egret that uh, was really close to the, sh the the road we were on. Um, we got right down to the, there's a 90 degree turn just as you get to the water that goes right along the, the lake shore there. You can see the Mackinac Bridge and everything really well right there. And um, we saw this whole swarm of uh, seagulls and we got up to the seagulls and there was a big insect hatch but when we got up to the seagulls there was also three white egrets they were all together with the seagulls and they uh two of the three flew off and the third one actually the one we have in their picture here um that's it's standing in amongst some brush and stuff it um it was standing still and trying to pretend 
that you couldn't see him, but he was white as the snow and he really stuck out like a sore thumb. But we were able to get a few pictures of him um, or this bird. I shouldn't say him. I'm not sure if it's a male or female, but um, just uh, kind of an oddball thing. I, there, we've seen a few over the years, um, but it was just really cool to see these egrets. Um, what we felt was out of place. So I did a little research, and although it's not unheard of to see um, great egrets in Michigan, it is still considered to be pretty rare to see them. Um, when you know you, you'd expect to see them in Florida, and I've seen lots of beautiful pictures of these egrets with their big, long, feathery, lacy almost um, feathers, you know, spread out almost like a peacock, and evidently. Um, they breed in Florida and when they migrate to other places like perhaps Michigan, that uh, breeding plumage is gone. So we're even though we're looking at them and thinking they're so spectacular and beautiful, which they are, they are even more spectacular and beautiful when they're in Florida during mating season. Uh, they're members of the heron family. Um, and you if you ever look at a blue heron, you can see, you know, lots of similarities. But they are, I think they're just particularly stunning. They're just, uh, it was an unexpected treat to turn that corner and, and see three egrets standing in the middle of the seagulls, which, you know, around here, we, we don't yeah, get we too don't, excited about seeing the seagulls. We don't look twice at a seagull, but yeah, I wasn't, I, was curious, I didn't realize that uh, they were in the heron family because they're every bit as big as a blue heron. They are, uh, at least three, maybe four foot tall. Um, and they're quite a big bird. So, And beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So our next picture was another surprise. This is on the day that um, we went to go eat at Clyde's and they were not open. So uh, we took our little drive down to, um, to see what we might see. Um, and we saw the egrets. And we turned, those egrets kind of flew off and we turned around to go back and see if we could see where they went. And uh, we spotted this bird on the side, pretty much on the side of the road. And we had no idea what, what it was. We thought maybe a green heron, which we've seen some photos of and think we may have seen before, but we don't really know what a green heron is. So, um, but there was actually a pair of these on the side of the road. This is the female of the pair. And uh, turns out that it is an American bittern. American bittern? I'm not sure how most people pronounce it, but um, they're considered also in the, in the heron family. And they're categorized as a wading bird. So they like wetlands and uh, to stay in the swampy water. And they particularly love areas that have tall reeds or cattails. And what they do, if you look at this picture, it's um, this picture is the bird has a very long neck. It's kind of light and dark brown colors and a very long beak. Um, and they stand perfectly still with their head thrust upwards so that their beak, you know, follows their, the line of their neck. And they actually look like a reed. They really are very good camouflaged into a, um, a wetlands area full of reeds. They just look like they're another reed. Yeah, if they don't move, you can't tell what they are. We caught them when they were moving. Otherwise, we would have drove right past them. 
And plus they were kind of out in the in the road when we first saw them. They right. they moved off into the into the grasses more once we creeped up on them, but um I think according to my research is very unusual to see them come out in the open, but they were very clearly in the middle of um some kind of a mating dance or mating ritual. Yeah, the male male was doing this bobbing his head and weaving around and doing all kinds of crazy things and he had this noise that he made that was just the oddest thing I've ever heard. And you could have heard it from half a mile away because we heard it later in the day. And I thought, well, they're still around. It, we couldn't see them later on in the day, but we could hear it. I, if you didn't know that that's the sound that these birds made, you would just think it was maybe bullfrogs or, um, you know, somebody dropping something in the water or um, I have a sample of what they sounded like, which I will add to the podcast. But I'm going to switch quick to the next picture, Bill. Okay. And this is the male American bittern. Um, he was a little more gun shy than the female, and he skedaddled a little further into the reeds um, when we got close enough to get our camera aimed at them. But you can see that he is a little bit more colorful. And he had these really fluffy white feathers on his shoulders, which when he was strutting around and making that sound, they were really fluffed out. And I mean, it was kind of like he was wearing a feather boa and he was really yeah. showing off for, for, the, for the female. He was almost doing the little shake. If any of you ever saw the, the bird of prey dance that he does, that's what this guy was doing too, along with the weird noises he was making. It was a really weird noise. The um, there's the sound is described as a booming, clacking, gulping sound. That would cover it. I was trying to describe it to somebody. I said it almost sounds like somebody dropping uh, stones into the water. It's almost a bloop and and almost ultrasonic. Yeah. Is um, the American bitterns have a nickname which is the thunder pumper, and that's based on the sounds that they make. Uh, after we did, after I did a little research or after we got home and found out what these birds were, we felt really privileged to have seen them because I don't think that most people see or notice them, even though they may be around. Right. So I've never seen one before. Yeah, that, that was pretty exciting though. Yep. Um, So already that day, we had seen the white egrets, the great white egrets, and then now these American bitterns. And then a little further up the way, we ran into, if you go to the next picture, Bill, um, and this is a picture of a sandhill crane with a baby. And I have to correct myself from our podcast a few episodes back. I referred to baby sandhill cranes as trunks, and I have no idea where I came up with that. A baby sandhill crane is actually called a colt. Correct. Colt. Colt. And I have no idea where I came up with trunk. I looked it up to think if maybe that was an alternative name. And it all is. I, it was your all alternative. All that came up on my Google search was elephant trunks. <laughs> 
So I don't know. I, I was just making it up as I went along, I guess. And I would like to correct myself on that. So we found we found a pair of sandhill cranes. They were really off into the marshy area. And I said to Bill, just stop and let's watch for a minute because there's a pretty good chance this time of year that they have babies. And sure enough, there was two babies. And um, so we watched and we tried really hard to get pictures. We did get some pictures, but n- not um, not perfect pictures or not really clear pictures. So this picture of a sandhill crane being followed by its baby colt was taken actually on another day when the sandhills had moved to a little grassy open area and we got some really spectacular pictures of them. What do you think of this picture, Bill? Yeah, this was a pretty sweet picture. The uh, the the parents and the colt kept running in and out of the, there was little pockets of sunshine and uh, there was a huge difference in the picture quality and everything when they would be in the light. But um, this colt was pretty cool. It, 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 kept, it kept running up to the parents and uh, um, the parents were eating bugs, but they were also picking worms. And I think they were picking worms out of the ground and then letting the baby eat them. And that was kind of cool to watch too. The um, What I assume to be the male of this pair of sandhill cranes stood fairly close to us at perfect attention. He um, let the other one still graze and feed the baby, but he kept his eyes on us the whole time. We stayed in our car and just pointed our camera out the window because we really didn't want to, um, you know, be push them. Yeah. Yeah. But he definitely was on guard. That's he for was sure. on guard for sure, um, which was fascinating also to see. Um, I may have said this in a previous episode, but sandhill cranes uh, can grow to be three or four foot tall, uh, weigh only six to 12 pounds. They look like they would weigh a lot more. Wow, than there's that. a lot of fluff there. Yeah, there's a lot of fluff there. Um, their wingspan is six to seven feet. They can fly 25 to 30 miles per hour, and they live to be an average between 20 and 40 years old. Wow. They're pretty fascinating to watch walk, and they make some noises that are just cool. They're very definitely sandhill cranes when you hear them, and uh, another one of those sounds you think, oh, that's prehistoric. And they look prehistoric. Yeah. I mean, they're long. They have long legs. I mean, think of emu or ostrich, really. Yeah, those knotty knees, like uh, almost like the or the um, flamingo. Yeah, like flamingos. Legs. And bird legs bend opposite at the knees than ours do, whereas they go back and yeah, yep, forward. Yeah, Crazy. and their beaks—they have really long beaks, and in the top of their beak, there's actually a hole that, like a nasal hole. I don't think that's what it is, but that goes right through the beak. Um, as when you take pictures with a nice long um, telephoto lens and you get home, throw it up on your computer, you can really zoom in and see some of these details. And they, they, really, they really are prehistoric. I could see when they talk about dinosaurs evolving from birds, I could see that with the sandhill cranes. Yeah, definitely.
So our next picture, I'll let you talk about this one too, Bill. Oh, this is this is actually a picture of a bald eagle uh, in a, it was an old deadhead tree that had been dead for a while where eagles really like to hang out in these dead trees for some reason. I don't know if it's just that they can see better because there's no leaves or anything on them. That makes but, sense. Um, this is, they were, he was um, just off the shoreline and uh, also in this picture is a red-winged blackbird that appears to be, he was probably about three feet away from the the eagle in the same tree. But um, this eagle um, was getting pretty annoyed with these blackbirds. They were coming in and buzzing his head. And and I was watching, watching this eagle um, through our lens. And the eagle would just open its mouth as these blackbirds would fly by. And it's like, if you get too close, I'm going to have you for lunch. But uh, they were just kept buzzing and dive bombing him, and he was just trying to ignore them. But um, uh, he was actually um, right in the same, like in within fifty yards of where the sandhills were too. It was amazing. We saw all this different wildlife, and basically in like a two mile span, it was pretty crazy how uh, how much stuff we saw in this little area. So on this particular day, our son Andy was riding along with us, and I think that he actually is the one that took um, this particular picture. He was uh, sitting in a, in a position in the car that was best for getting the the right angle, and uh, he was pretty fascinated with this, how bold this little bird was, this little red-winged blackbird, at trying to just bug the bug the eagle and try and make him leave um and i i i i always love it when i see little birds harassing bigger birds just the tenacity of it and the um so i looked it up and there's actually a name for that when little birds harass bigger birds to make them move off of territory it's called mobbing i would call it stupid <laughs> i wonder how stupid it is but i i remember another time when um you and I were in Traverse City and we saw a bunch of seagulls actually chasing an eagle. And the eagle had in its talons one of the seagulls it had captured and was carrying off to have for its dinner. And all of the other flock of seagulls were chasing it. So you're right. An eagle is nothing to mess around with no. if you're a bird. Um, in the 1970s, eagles we were seriously endangered and they were on the endangered species list, of course, and when I was growing up, I don't remember ever seeing bald eagles. No, it was very rare when we were kids to see bald eagles. And there, and there's quite a few of them around here. They're now. making a pretty good comeback. And I think in Alaska, eagles are as seagulls are to us. Yeah, there's but, huge amounts of them yeah. up there. But, uh, but here, it's it's always feels like a special thing when you see an eagle. And this one just sitting in that tree. And he was not going to move. <laughs> no. They're pretty majestic. They're, they're, I mean, that eagle was probably almost three foot tall. It was a big, mature was, eagle. Yeah, we took you know lots of shots. I think we all had a chance at at with the camera trying to get pictures of this eagle. And when I got home and went through the pictures and zoomed in close, this particular eagle was banded. He had a little um, tag around his uh, one of his ankles. So I think always find that kind of interesting. Um, and of course. 
the bald eagle is the um, our national emblem, emblem, our official bird. So on this trip, we saw uh, Michigan's official flower and our national official bird. So that was exciting. Um, the next picture is a picture of a uh, what's called a common turn. Um, do you want to talk about the turns, Bill? The turns, actually, this picture is um, a picture of a turn that's sitting right on a rock, right on the water. And um, they are, from a distance, you would think they were seagulls. But they're and about half the size. They're about half the size. And they're whitish gray, um, their bodies are. And they have a, a black strip, like the cap of their head is black. From like the line of your eyeball up on their head is a black cap of feathers. They have a almost a bright orange, almost beak. red, yeah, reddish orange beak with a black point on the end of it, and then black uh, legs and feet. Actually, the legs are red. Oh, okay. They match the beak. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm misspoke. Yep. They yeah they 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 put it together in a little matching accent pieces yeah, there. Their day out on uh, their outfits were <laughs> coordinated well. We were pretty excited when we saw this tern sitting on a rock because the terns are such little feisty birds that you don't very often see them sitting still. They um, they fly around and when they see fish, they dive into the water and they dive with such force. I, I'm not sure how deep they go into the water, how deep they intend to go in there. They go in there like just crashing into the water yeah they just the, pull their they pull their wings right back and just dive there's no gliding no nothing they just plunge themselves into the water and then they'll come up with a with a fish and fly off and uh i've watched them with the camera you know in place ready to go to trying to get a trying to get that moment of impact when they're diving into the water and it is near impossible to do even when you have all of the all of the knowledge of how to get it right. It's just hard to follow the, how, where they're going to go and how fast they're going. And so when we spotted one sitting on a rock, we jumped at the opportunity to get a, a good sharp focus picture of a, of a turn. A um, few things you should know about uh, a turn is that after, after breeding season, they migrate south. So in September sometime, they migrate south. And from North America, they migrate all the way down into um, South America. Uh, terns that are found in Europe will um, migrate to South Africa. Wow. They, ha they have the longest migration of any bird, which is it's pretty amazing that they travel that far. Um, I'm not sure what brings a turn to northern Michigan, but uh, they must know what they're doing. Um, I, they're just a feisty little, you know, hard, hard built animal that just knows how to how to get along, which is why we were surprised on a more recent trip through Boulevard Drive and Point Labarbe, We saw a turn in the water that looked like it was dead. I, I noticed it as we were driving by. It was right off the shore. It was not a very rough day on the water. The water was pretty still, still with just a little bit of swells. And this turn was laying in the water with its wings a little bit outstretched. 
And I thought something must have happened. The seagulls were sort of all flurrying around too. And I thought maybe they were had hurt the turn or were going to try to peck at it or eat it because it was injured. And and Bill and I saw it and then we backed up to watch it for a little while. And every now and then it would lift up its head and flutter a bit and then go back to just laying in the water. So I got the camera out and zoomed in really close to see what was going on. And there was an insect hatch and there was insects all over the water. And this tern was just floating in the water with its mouth open, scooping up bugs. Yeah, even in this picture we're showing here, the tern, um, if the, for those of you who can see the picture, the little black specks all over in the picture are actually insects. And these things were just everywhere. Stoneflies, I believe, is what they were. But this thing was just laying on the water, shoveling it in like, why should I be diving now? I can just scoop them in from I, here. It actually is pretty brilliant when you think about it. Totally not expending any energy and totally having a whole buffet of food. Yeah. Um, I, we might have thought this was a real anomaly, but as we traveled a little further down the road, we spotted another turn doing the exact same thing. So we know that it was not an injured bird, that this was actually birds that were being smart about getting dinner. Maybe it was a no-dive Wednesday. Who knows? <laughs> so we're going to go to the next picture, and this is a picture which I think is spectacular. Um, and the photo credit goes to Bill all the way. Um, Bill tends to like to take the real close-up macro type photography. Um, um, and part of one of the things that we like to look for when we go up to St. Ignace and Drive Boulevard Drive is um, at the right time of year along the ditch lines of the road are lots of yellow lady slippers blooming. And this year we found them and we felt like they were quite a bit smaller than we've seen them in years past. But there was, they were prolific. There was a lot of them. And so we got out and rolled around in the grass and took pictures of the yellow lady slippers. We do it every year. We have hundreds of pictures of these lady slippers. But, you know, every year is a little different and you never know what you might get. Well, we spotted um, this particular lady slipper had a, a spider on it. And the spider is also yellow. So perfect camouflage. You want to talk about this picture a little bit, Bill? Yeah, well, you actually spotted the spider, and uh, we were hoping that it would actually go into the the body of the uh, lady slipper itself. Yeah, lady it slippers are actually orchids, wild orchids. And um, if you're familiar at all with orchids, they have kind of a big, um, well, they call them lady slippers for a reason. They look almost like a slipper that you could slip a little foot into. So they have a big bulbous looking um, bloom. That's hollow inside, and I thought it'd be so cute if the if the spider went into the the hole of the of the um, flower and peeked out. But he wasn't really cooperating that well with us. No, but uh, I managed to actually. I was actually laying on the ground, almost under this lady slipper, and uh, the spider actually came out on the edge, and it was almost like, "What are you doing down there?" But he. <laughs> Stuck his legs out and went, how do you like this? And I got a couple of good pictures. So they really did. I don't think I've ever seen the spider this color before, but uh, it was pretty so cool. I learned something about this spider. This is actually, um, this spider is called a crab spider, a yellow crab spider. And yellow crab spiders can change color at will, usually white or yellow. 
but it takes 25 days for them to make that transition. So it's not instant. Um, but this, this little spider is just tiny. I mean, this is a really close up picture of the, of the lady slipper and the spider you can see is not as big as the lady slipper, but these um, yellow crab spiders eat bumblebees. Oh, there's lots of those around. I know, but a bumblebee was pro is probably bumblebee twice. Bumblebee is bigger than that spider by a long yeah. shot. So they, yeah, I guess, they catch them in a web and they yeah. just probably yeah. eat away at them, which is gross. But um, this picture is just luscious and beautiful. I, I'm really proud of, of this picture for Bill. Um, we have a lens that we bought from our friend Kevin Anderson. Um, it's a, a Tamron Prime lens. Uh, it's a 90 millimeter bill. Yes. So a prime lens means it's not a zoom lens. So it's at a fixed focal point. The only way that you can get closer or further back from your subject is to physically move your own body. But the thing about a prime lens that's wonderful is that they're usually the quality is so excellent that the, you know, the glass is just perfect and you can get really close up detail with this particular lens and um, another thing about um, the lenses that we have is we tend to give a nickname to our, our, our favorite lenses. <laughs> our first one that we named or Bill named, I should say, is our big, long wildlife um, lens. It goes from 150 millimeters to 600. And so we can get really in there close with uh, animals that are quite far away from us. Um, and Bill, we bought, we rented that lens when we were on vacation at uh, Yellowstone one year, and we loved it so much on our trip that when we went to take it back, we ended up buying it, taking it home with us. But Bill, very early on in that trip, named the lens Pearl, and he kept referring to it as, oh, hand me Pearl. And I said, what are you talking about Pearl? He said, it's the lens. I'm calling her Pearl. And I said, why? And, and you said... Because it's from the sweet mother of pearl. <laughs> you loved it. I heard you once tell someone that if our house caught fire, you would the, the Get one thing pearl you would, out and you then would, come back for you. Exactly, you would rescue pearl and then come back to rescue me. So you really love our big lens. So um, since then, we we bought this lens off of our friend uh, Kevin, and so therefore this lens has become Kevin. So um, when we're heading off for a little day trip like this. We'll decide, well, let's bring Pearl. Let's bring Kevin. Um, and then bring, something else. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, this is a beautiful picture. I'm really anxious, actually, to print this picture and blow it up even a little bit bigger. Um, it's it's really, um, the colors are just the background. The green in the background is is just really blurred nicely, which makes the flower and the spider stand out so much. The, the good shot. Good for you, Bill. Yeah, I was happy. So we um, like to end our podcasts with the picture that got away. And often we just have to describe to you the picture that we did not get because it got away from us. But um, Bill, if you turn to the next picture, you'll see the picture. We actually did get a picture of the picture that got away the from us. Got away. <laughs> when you see it, you'll understand. Yeah. It's a, a picture of the swampy wetlands. You can see some tangled shrubbery and some greenery growing. And to the right-hand side, you see just half of the great white egret as it flies away from us and we missed the shot. We really wanted to get a shot of it lifting up out of the water and starting to fly, but 
we um the head and shoulders are not in the picture. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard him say you will never get this as he flew away. <laughs> We actually have lots of pictures like this, not necessarily all great egrets, but snowy owls and hawks and and anything that, you know, you just get there and you know they're going to take off and you're either zoomed in too close or too far back or you can't track them fast enough with your camera. And so we have a number of pictures of the butt end of something as it leaves our our camera lens. At least you can say, well... You can see what it was. Some of the stuff that we've got away, we never even got a picture of. So this is uh, this is at least some evidence that there was such a thing there. And you do get to see their their feet, which are really big, long, gnarly looking claws. Yeah, not everybody talks about the great egrets' feet very much. So this is a great picture. It's of great. Their feet. Yeah. I'm not blowing it up and printing it out. And, and I did notice that the legs the are bent backwards in that picture right. too. They tuck them up under themselves, right? It almost looks like there's a little stick figure underneath that white sheet flying away. It, it this does make me want to go to Florida sometime though, and and take pictures of all the unique birds that are in Florida when they're in their prime colors and plumage. Definitely. Yeah. So um, one thing I want, I don't want to get too political on our podcast, but one thing I will say is that I am surprised at how wonderful this little section of the world is, this little road that follows the shoreline. Um, there's beautiful views of the Mackinac Bridge from that shoreline, but more than that, the amount of wildlife. It's very prevalent there. There's tons of, and we haven't gotten pictures of everything that's there by a long shot either. And although wetlands are protected just in nature, in generally, I am so surprised that this area is not a pro protected wildlife refuge. Right. Because it is equally as abundant as the Sini Wildlife Refuge. And, and Lake Michigan is just a spectacular lake and also Lake Huron. It is where they come together there at the Mackinac Bridge. But um, there are several things that are under the water between the upper and lower peninsulas that, you know, follow along. And that because Point Labarbe is that shortest span, there are um, oil um, pipelines. Oil and gas pipelines that run right through there. And also um, other energy pipelines. Right. Um, and a year ago, there was a pipeline that actually got um, damaged because a freighter was going through the straits and it was dragging, uh, dropped an anchor. There was at that particular time, there was no markation of, of that this was an area where you shouldn't drop an anchor. Right. Never was marked. And so it, it damaged a pipeline that had um, electrical line in it that's insulated with a particular kind of petroleum that that insulates that electrical i i I'm, it's a cooling agent yeah and it's um it's when you look up the chemical compound of it it's considered a carcinogen and it is deadly to humans and fish and, and fish things. and anything else living and there was um the accident happened one day and uh it didn't get noticed right off the bat. And this was in a spring when there was 
the straits were open from ice, but there was still ice floating in the water. But um, th- those companies all have checks and balances and and something triggered that there was um, a drop in the pressure in that pipeline. And so they suspected something wasn't right. So they they do something to reduce the pressure so that it's not flowing as much or whatever. But by the time it was actually reported the next day, they figure hundreds and hundreds of gallons of this substance leaked into the straits. I don't know that a lot of people heard about this, but it took quite a while to repair it. And I don't know what they did to clean up the actual petroleum that spilled into the straits. Um, And I think that that company also in the end decided that that particular line was not worth restoring. And so they've abandoned it. But there are all kinds of other pipelines. And the most famous one is Line 5, which is owned by Enbridge, um, which Enbridge is a Canadian company, which is why Bill, one of Bill's suggestions for this podcast episode was to call it the dark side of Canada. <laughs> but um, Line 5 in Michigan has been pretty controversial. It's an old pipeline and it um, transports um, oil, correct, Bill? Yes. And I think it's the from the tar sands oil, isn't it? Yeah. The really it, nasty. It just goes through the United States to Mexico. The United States doesn't get any of the petroleum that goes through there. And the pipeline is old and needs to be um, repaired. There are areas where the coating on the outside of the pipeline is, is worn off. And there are areas where um, the bottom of the lake has eroded under it and it's not being supported well enough. And it needs to be... A lot of people would like to see it decommissioned and just taken out of there. But at minimal, something needs to be done to make it more safe. And the current um, solution is to encase that pipeline in another bigger pipe, which they're calling a tunnel. Um, So this has been a controversy in northern Michigan and in Michigan for several years. You see signs all over, you know, um, say no to line five or we support the tunnel or whatever. And Enbridge does have a couple little areas on that drive, Boulevard Drive, where they have, what would you call those? Those are just check stations. They're where they can turn oil on and off and control flow through there. And one of them, they have a problem with seagulls, of course, it's on a shoreline, um, wanting to, you know, seagulls are opportunists and they'll sit on anything they, that gives them a vantage point or view or whatever. And but seagull um, seagulls tend to poop all over the place and their poop is very corrosive. And so they don't want seagulls to be sitting on their equipment. So every 20 minutes or so, there's a boom, um, a sound. I don't know. How how do you think they produce that, Bill? Oh, it's an electric. It's a just a recording. That's it sounds like a cannon going off. Yeah, it's a loud noise. It's intended to scare off the seagulls from the equipment. To deter the seagulls. And yeah, Um, the first time I heard it was when we were up um, with visiting with the hawk watchers, the bird watchers. And every time, even though those people had been sitting there for three days, every time that boom would go off, it would just scare you like a gunshot. And you'd jump just a little bit, even though you knew what it was and you knew it would be coming. Um, to me, that's just so disruptive to the ecosystem there. Uh, not to mention what could happen if if there was a, um, you know, a, a leak or a, a full-on breakdown of any of those lines that go through the straits. 
you know, I, I like I said, I don't want to be political, but it just surprises me that this particular area is not protected. How do you feel about it, Bill? Well, it obviously went in there before there was regulations on all of it, so they're grandfathered in. But it is a shame that such a gorgeous little spot, um, which is obviously inhabited by a lot of cool wildlife, and and I'm sure there's lots of fish and stuff there, or the wildlife wouldn't be there, uh, that could easily be damaged and probably never replaced if something gone wrong there. I know. I'm I, when I'm. When Bill and I drive through places that where we want to observe the wildlife, we usually make sure we turn our radio off. If we see something, we'll stop and actually turn the car completely off. And part of the whole experience, we love, of course, to take photos, but just hearing the sounds and uh, feeling feeling the air and seeing how things behave is just part of that immersing yourself in nature and and part of that experience that makes it feel so special. So in the middle of that, to get that boom sound is so annoying. It just makes me annoyed every time. And I am Canadian and I want to be proud of Canada. I love it when people say, oh, Canadians are so polite and so nice. And then you hear about Enbridge <laughs> and it makes me embarrassed. Every country's got its bad spot. But so that's our little PSA for today. But um, if you ever get a chance to spend just a little bit of time and not be in a hurry, uh, take a little drop down from St. Ignace down to the lakeshore and drive that boulevard drive and just see what you can see. And if you see nothing more than the beautiful view of Lake Michigan and the stunning view of the Mackinac Bridge, a, um, a wonder of how it was built, an engineering wonder, it's worth it. Probably we've not sat there and watched sunset, but probably a pretty good place to watch a sunset. Yeah, I would think it probably is. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today on our Winnie and Bill Chat podcast. I hope this inspires you to, uh, if you don't want to go and visit that particular spot, get out in nature wherever you are and see what you can see. Um, you don't have to take pictures. All you have to do is enjoy it, because it's it's you know it's just there waiting for us to find it. Yeah, so thanks for turning in and checking in with us once again. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this. And uh, like Winnie said, get outside and smell the roses. We want to thank um, Anchor Podcast Platform for sponsoring our uh, podcast by having a free podcasting host place. Uh, if you want to make a podcast, I would highly recommend Anchor. It's free and it's pretty easy. So uh, if you want, if you've got something on your mind and you'd like to be heard, Make a podcast. If we can do it, you can do it. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye.